Good evening, and thank you for joining us. I'm Ed Hand, your host for tonight's Unpublished TV panel discussion. Our topic tonight is when should the Canada-U.S. border reopen to non-essential travel? However you're watching and listening to our show, whether through our social media channels on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube, or our podcast channels, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and more, I'd like to remind you that you can cast your vote on this topic at unpublished.vote and then email your MP and tell them why. Our question this week is, when will you feel comfortable reopening the Canada-U.S. border to non-essential travel? Now, when we did our podcast, it was to be revisited by today, and now the border will stay closed until October 21st, and then, then it will be revisited again. At unpublished.vote, you will find our podcast on this issue, as well as articles, opinion pieces, and research on the various views on reopening the border. So let's get it started. Joining us tonight, Colin Robertson's a former Canadian diplomat and vice president and fellow at the Canadian Global Affairs Institute. Mary Scott, Scotty Greenwood's the CEO of the Canadian American Business Association. And Jack Jedwab is the president and CEO of the Association of Canadian Studies. And our question, when will you feel comfortable reopening the Canada-U.S. border to non-essential travel? And when you looked at uh, our choices on the poll, after three months, 36.1%. Six months, 8.3%. 12 months, 22.2%. Longer than 12 months, 25%. And undecided, 8.3%. Now, the thing I find interesting about this, Colin, is the, the least and the most the border would be closed are the ones that are the most popular. What does that tell you? Well, it tells me the Canadians aren't ready to open the border just yet. Mm. My sense is we're probably not going to open it until... It appears that both countries have the pandemic under some kind of control, and we're, there's no sign that we're near that. And so I think realistically, the border may not reopen until there's a freely available vaccine on both sides of the border. Do you think it's going to be the vaccine? Scotty, border towns and in cities, what impact are you seeing in the U.S. on them right now? It's a pretty pretty difficult situation for the border towns. Um, you know, in the summer, whether you're in Vermont uh, or in Fort Erie, Crystal Beach, and in in Fort Erie, Ontario, you're used to having summer people, and summer people come across. Um, on their boats, uh, come across by land, and and uh, and the border communities are used to having this kind of travel and commerce that happens back and forth because the locals don't eat out, at, you know, at restaurants every night of the week, and they don't uh, they don't spend the way visitors do, um, and 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 so and just you know, grocery stores in Newport, Vermont are used to having you know folks from Magog, Quebec come down. So uh, it's pretty pretty challenging for the for the people that live along the border. The other thing, um, Ed, is uh, I, I had a call today from a United States Senator's office. One of their constituents, one of her constituents, um, was trying to just check on his property mm -hmm. um, in 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 the Maritimes and and can't do that. And we see the same is true in the Pacific Northwest. Canadians coming down wanting to check on their property. So uh, it's a pretty challenging situation along the border. And this is just a preview of the challenges that we'll have with the snowbirds, which are a little further from the border, mm -hmm. uh, but also an important cross-border constituency. And I would say it's not just non-essential casual travelers, but business travel uh, that is essential for the business is also having some trouble. So it's uh, pretty challenging. What are Americans saying about the border? Do they want it open? Do they want it closed? We know, we know Tr President Trump wants it open, but what do Americans say? Um, um, sorry, go ahead, Scotty. No, go ahead, Jack. Uh, well, 
what I gather from the polling that we've uh, conducted, and we're doing sort of weekly tracking polls with a company called Leger Marketing, uh, Americans are more at ease with coming across to our side of the border than Canadians are going to the U.S. side of the border. So uh, still not in the majority, and there's still a fair bit of uneasiness amongst Americans in terms of what the polling's suggesting, uh, but not at the same level as the uneasiness on this side of the border about it, traveling to the United States. Now, that, and that, that poll you commissioned shows an overwhelming majority of Canadians wanted to stay closed. Now, as the prime minister or the leader, how do you convince Canadians who overwhelmingly don't want it open, who say, you know, we're going to have to open it? How, how do you convince them? Or is it political suicide? Yeah, I don't think you can convince Canadians at this point uh, that uh, the border can be reopened without paying some political price. The government, I don't think, is uh, near an election at this point, even though it is a minority government. I'm not of the opinion that the opposition parties would want to trigger an election at this time, but I don't see why uh, Prime Minister Trudeau would take a contrary position. When uh, when I look at the polling, which we have broken down by uh, party preference, uh, the percentage of people that say they are liberal, identify as liberal, uh, that would want the border open is practically in fractions, right? It barely hits, uh, barely hits 5%. So I don't think there's any uptake amongst uh, Prime Minister Trudeau's constituency for opening the border at this particular time. I think it really is a wait and see uh, issue. And, and as Colin indicated, we might have to wait till there's a vaccine. And I don't think that's in the immediate future. It's, uh, uh, I would suggest it's, you know, at best in spring 2021. That's at best, despite, you know, the U.S. president suggesting that right after he gets elected, there may be a vaccine days, you know, mm-hmm. days, uh, days in the, in, the, in, the, in the mix there. So, uh, Colin, And Pre- I would just add to that that sure. you know, the premiers, it's not just the prime minister, who I don't think has any great inclination, but you've got the three biggest premiers, you know, president, Premier Horgan, who's now into an election, uh, Premier Ford and Premier Legault, all of them want to keep the border closed as well. And uh, city mayors, the bigger city mayors. So I, I, I think there, and, and as uh, Jack points out, and as other polling that both he's done, Leger, and I've seen Abacus and others, mm-hmm. there's broad public support for keeping, at least on the Canadian side, for keeping that border closed. I think if you really want to get across, and I've had several friends who really want to get across, they've all been able to do it. Uh, Americans coming up, I think it's more difficult. And I think that's the way it unfortunately is going to remain because what I'm struck by is that there's no, you mentioned your, you've did a podcast that got a lot of uh, mm-hmm. listeners, but I'm struck that there's, there's no great pressure to, to open that from any of the sort of communities I see business or otherwise. Scotty may have a view on this. Yeah, is, what, what do you think, Scotty? Well, I think the way you, you get comfortable with, with, with reopening the border or with resuming any semblance of, of life um, the way it was before is, is with testing um, and contact tracing. If 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 you can prove uh, that that you don't have COVID, um, and we talked before about about the idea uh, of this double negative test. So you you test before you go, within you know call it forty eight hours. You test when you arrive. If both of those are negative, not sure why you would keep somebody like that out, um, and and not sure why you'd want them to quarantine. Um, the, the trick is, though, what if, what if you test negative on your way leaving the United States going into Canada and and then you get to Canada, let's say you've landed on a plane and you get a positive result, then there's a whole protocol that would have to be worked out about how do you how do you send that person home? What do you do with them once they've tested positive? And that's something to work out. But by the way, this isn't just about the Canada-U.S. border. As I understand it, Canada isn't open to anyone right now. 
Um, so the, the U.S. impact is, is obviously we're right here. Um, and, and, you know, Canadians and Americans are used to in the millions going back and forth um, with complete ease. Um, but this isn't, I don't think this is just directed at the U.S. I think generally Canada is taking a, a conservative approach for health reasons. And I think that's understandable. The way you deal with that uh, has got to be through testing and contact tracing because just stay, keep staying closed and hermetically sealed, um, I don't think is a solution uh, that, that's going to work in the long term. No, it's definitely not a long-term uh, solution. Colin, uh, President Trump does want to reopen. How do you deal with your largest trading partner if you don't want to open? Well, I think, uh, again, there, there aren't direct conversations between Mr. Trudeau and Mr. Trump on this. I think Mr. Trudeau, this is not a conversation he wants to have, but certainly mm -hmm. the uh, I also sense that the Canadian Border Service people and the Department of Homeland Security people, they're quite content to keep it the way it is. So, Trump may be going in one direction. My sense is, and again, Scotty can talk to this, is that certainly from the people I talk to on the Canadian side and some at the American Embassy, that there's not a lot of pressure from either side, at least to the bureaucratic or uh, ministerial yeah. level, to, to move on this one uh, for now until we really have got this thing under control. Because I think both sides correctly see the the huge political downside as Scotty said, you know, the contact tracing is not perfect. And so I think until we get to that situation, and, and and the other point is, it's not as though we are lacking, as I understand it, on either side of the border. There have been some supply chain interruptions, but not nearly at the scale that one might have thought could be the case. Some of the servicing side I know is not getting done as quickly as people would like. But generally, you go to your stores, your groceries are reasonably full, things are working, and you don't hear a lot of complaints. Well, if I could just say, mm -hmm. we, we just had a, a our, our third quarter uh, Canadian-American Business Council board meeting last week, and uh, we had a senior official from the government of Canada as part of the discussion, and uh, every, every almost every board member raised the issue of the challenges with the border closing for business. Um, so it's not as transparent or, or obvious as it, as it could be um, to get deemed essential. Um, the quarantine requirement is effectively a ban. Um, and so, so you may not be hearing a lot about it um, in the public domain, but, but in, the, in the dialogues that, that I'm privy to, there's a, there's a really serious concern um, about pe people being able to conduct business um, back and forth across the border. So I, I think it's something uh, that we're going to have to deal with. We, obviously, we have to be safe. Um, uh, but but I think the, the idea that the border is either completely closed or completely open um, isn't, isn't uh, the paradigm anymore. I think we have to look at a risk-based approach, just like we look at everything else that goes back and forth across the border. It's all about managing risk and doing that in a smart way. And I think we're going to have to look at the movement of people in that way going forward. Yeah, I agree. I know this is going to have to happen incrementally. There's not going to be a, an immediate reopening. There's going to have to be a movement that involves a bit of pedagogy about this and, and people feeling more at ease over a, a certain period of time. Uh, but it's true in the long term, certainly the border closing is not in the interest of either country. Uh, and certainly some industries are very badly affected by it. I can think of one that's very obvious, tourism. Right. Mm -hmm. So uh, right now our... our uh, quite a bit, uh, certainly in a lot of the larger cities, and from uh, our American uh, neighbors. As that's CVP calling, they want to make sure you <laughs> your, your Nexus card. 
Yeah, no <laughs> kidding. No kidding. Uh, uh, that's, that's an obvious one. There are many, many others. I don't think we have a, a big picture and we haven't seen sort of a, a detailed presentation of just how significantly the economic effects are of not seeing that cross-border movement between the two countries. Uh, I was in Niagara Falls, actually. I, I did some uh, cross-border visiting uh, Quebec to Ontario. Uh, and uh, you could see in Niagara Falls, even though on the Canadian side, it seems to be okay. Uh, you can see the sort of uh, level of, of mis- the sort of a degree of mistrust that, that informs you about the, the, the need for more pedagogy. Right. On the American side, I went on the, the Maid of the Mist, which is now not called the Maid of the Mist on yeah. the Canadian side. Right? It's called the Hornblower. And they got the, <laughs> the American side and the Canadian boat. And you may have seen there's some photos about this that I saw before doing this. But and the photo showed the American boat more crowded. Right. Not as much. did Not no, no, no real distancing in the Canadian boat. It's all distancing, you know, which is a representation, maybe exaggerated or embellished to some extent. But I witnessed it firsthand. And. And that creates this feeling amongst Canadians that America is not taking care of itself the way we presumably are taking care of ourselves uh, and reflecting the case number. So underlying the border issue is another issue, which is very uh, standout in our polling, which is the level of trust between Canadians and Americans. Uh, in our polling, I'm showing record low levels of trust on the part of Canadians towards Americans, uh, somewhere in the, in the 30% range. Mm-hmm. And that's consistent over the last four months. We've done two polls like this. Uh, we know that the level of trust in the Trump administration amongst Canadians is very, very low. And, and, and it is what it is. You know, we have to respect the decisions of our neighbors, whatever that decision happens to be politically. Uh, but I do think the election could have a bearing on the way this evolves going forward. Right? Uh, uh, we'll have to see. The tone can change. The, you know, the, the mood may change. Uh, it's hard to say. Uh, but, you know, those are issues, I think, that are also uh, out there that we're not thinking about directly. But I think that's part of what we're waiting. In, uh, there's a bit of a wait and see around that as well. What do you think? You know, about- and the views, sorry, the views of, of Americans, you know, we're not monolithic, right? So if you, hmm. if you look at the state of New York, for example, the governor of New York, Governor Cuomo, did a phenomenal job, uh, is doing a phenomenal job with managing this uh, health and humanitarian crisis, and the numbers are are way down. So when I talk to a friend of Collins and mine, former Congressman John LaFalse, yes. he's from Buffalo, New York, and he's got a place in Fort Erie, and he hasn't been. He goes every May to October. Ever since he retired from Congress, he's got property there. He's not able to go across. If he were to attempt to go, he would be turned back to say, "You're not going for mm-hmm. business." Well, he's a retiree. New York has done very well. Upstate New York, the instances are very low. And yet, as Jack points out, uh, there's a lack of trust. So I think it's important to dig beneath the surface and have um, honest conversations with each other about what the risks really are when we talk about a phased approach to reopening the border, whenever that is. Yeah, yeah you know, and Ed, I would just I would I would add to what Scotty's saying about risk management is that, you know, we don't have to have all the border open at the same time. I, my sense is that we'd be smart to start small you know, Sweetgrass, Montana, and, uh, Coots, Alberta, yeah. uh, maybe, you know, in uh, uh, between Maine, uh, St. Stephen and Callis, for example, and see how that goes to it. As you say, Scotty, where the instances of local traffic are fairly low and where you can manage this. And that would, I think, start to build confidence uh, for broader reopening. But you, again, you know, remember the border in Canada, the United States is, is one of the longest in the absolute world. It's mm-hmm. like going from Beijing to uh, to Moscow. 
you know, it's four and a half time zones. And I think sometimes we get caught up in kind of the European paradigm about border opening. We forget how big that border is. And it's not just one border. It's also the border between Alaska and Yukon. And of course, there are people on both sides of that border who would like to see that reopening because they're taking a different kind of uh, view. And I think, as Scotty said earlier, you know, some of the uh, test and trace and so there are things we could we should be looking to now. But as Jack's pointed out, that public education is not taking place and it, it should. And I think both governments and business has a role here to play because I do think public confidence, as Jack's pointing out, his polling and certainly the polling I see is uh, not sufficient for any political leader on the Canadian side to want to move to an opening in the uh, short term. Scotty, I'm wondering, how would you characterize talks between Canada and the U.S. on when this might happen? Or, or Because, you know, you don't just flip the switch. This is something you're going to have to lay out down the line, right? This is something that has to be planned at least three to six months down the line. Uh, I, how would you characterize those talks going on right now? Well, the talks are happening. And mm. what I would say is the Canadian ambassador to the United States, Kirsten Hillman, is enormously talented. And she has all sorts of relationships um, inside the administration, inside the White House. And and it, you're, I would say you're right that it's not flipping a switch, although the decision, the mutual decision to close that border was made in about four days. Mm-hmm. And Ambassador Hillman, and it was closing it, but keeping it open to essential commerce. Um, and that was a pretty pretty complicated dance and it was done pretty quickly. Um, so so uh, Ambassador Hillman and her team are in um, virtually constant conversations, but they get, you know, they get taken, uh, those conversations get taken over from time to time uh, when things happen, like the U.S. decides to slap an aluminum tariff against Canadian mm-hmm. aluminum products. And then so suddenly you've got to deal with that fire drill. Um, thankfully, that is no longer upon us. But there there are developments like that that occur, you know, pretty regularly um, that, that the embassy has to deal with, that the ambassador has to deal with. And, and another one in Congress is you have what's known as the National Defense Authorization Act that has a has a 100% content requirement um, for defense procurement, which is, as, as Colin and Jack know, and you know, Ed, that's contrary to, you know, several generations of Canada-U.S. cooperation on defense uh, procurement policy. So, uh, all this to say the embassy has its hand full, hands full, uh, but they engage on a daily basis from my conversations with Hillman, with their counterparts, and with folks inside the White House. Mary Scott Greenwood of the Canadian American Business Council joining us on Unpublished TV as well. Uh, Colin Robertson, he is a former uh, Canadian diplomat as well as a fellow at uh, at the the Canadian Global Affairs Institute. And Jack Jedwab is the president and CEO of the Association for Canadian Studies. And Jack, you know, we're talking about only essential travel between the two, yet... There was a story that came out this week. Uline owner Liz Uline gets through for a meeting to Toronto, spends 36 hours. There's fingers being pointed at the Canadian border services. Uh, part of the problem, people don't understand who's the what, who's essential, who's not. You know, is that part of the problem? Is, is we're getting mixed messages about this? Uh, yes and no. I think uh, there are some exceptions. We don't understand fully where the exceptions are, and some people are able to find ways to get across the border. If you have a deceased relative, you're going to be able to get across the border to attend their funeral. That makes some sense. So there are all kinds of exceptions. People find ways. Uh, there's other stories about thousands of people trying to cross the uh, uh, Canada-U.S. border, uh, land borders, and they didn't know that you couldn't cross our border. So 
you know, that cuts both ways. I don't think that's where the major issue is. We can find more stories like that, uh, mm-hmm. I'm sure. Uh, but that's not where the major issue is right now. Uh, the issues are the ones that, you know, Scotty described and that Colin described earlier. Uh, but, you know, again, overarching some of that, you can have a lot of good conversations between DHS and our border services people. Uh, but the politics and public opinion are really, really key right now. I don't think that uh, with an election coming up, with the situation we're facing currently, uh, maybe that election in the aftermath can serve as a catalyst to renew the political conversation, which, of course, is going on, you know, at the embassy with Kirsten Hillman and various others, as, as Scotty pointed out. And then there's public opinion. And right now, again, we'll need a pedagogical process. It's going to take some time for public opinion to evolve. Uh, you know, I've got some new polling, uh, just got it today, in fact. Mm-hmm. Uh, Americans have very good opinions of Canadians. In fact, they have a more positive opinion Americans of Canadians than they have of Americans, which is interesting. Uh, you know, uh, Americans see us in all the Gallup polls that come out every February. You ask Americans who their best principal ally is. It's Canada. It's Canadians. You know, what do you do when, you know, your best friend doesn't trust you? I mean, that's happened to me, by the way, in my life on a micro level. But, you know, here we're on a micro <laughs> level. You know, you don't trust your best friend. Your best friend doesn't trust you. It takes some time to work the problem out. And unfortunately, uh, that uh, given what we're all living through right now, it's going to take some time for this thing to 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 be fixed. Colin, we trust you, Jack. Donald Trump. <laughs> What's this? <laughs> Donald Trump? Do I trust? You got to stop hanging around with him. You know? <laughs> if you're worried about your best friend trusting you or not? That's a <laughs> yeah. Now, now, Colin, I was going to say, now, we're obviously, we're talking about the Canada-U.S. border, but, you know, we look around the world, there are other borders that are starting to open up between other countries. Do you see any of those that Canada-U.S. might take a look at, or is it because of the size of our, our two countries and the length of that border that we're a bit of a different, a different uh, thing altogether? Well, I think we are different, but I, I come back to this idea of, of perhaps regional openings as we start to reopen we should be looking at different models of what we could potentially do you know the europeans have done this the baltic states basically put a bubble around themselves and said okay within this bubble we can move but that keeps people out from spain italy for example uh so i think that's the kind of thing we should be looking at but i also i would make this point to you ed that you know the our our border policy has been based on a a kind of a a two-legged stool up to now it's been trade and that's been trade since confederation and since 9-11, security. So we had these two pillars. And I think post-COVID, we're going to add a third pillar, and that's going to be public health. You know, I, I, I think I foresee that crossing borders now, in addition to your passport or nexus card, you're going to have to travel as we did when I was a kid with your vaccine certificate, because I think that the public is going to expect a, a, a higher standard when it comes to their safety and public health as a consequence of this global pandemic. And that's not just true of Canadians. I think that's going to be true of other parts of the world as well. Scotty, you had talked about uh, we contact tracing, uh, contact testing and tracing um, as ways to reopen or suggest. What other suggestions are you hearing on how to reopen or, or get this ball rolling to reopen? Well, I mean, the, the most obvious thing that I have to say is the U.S. has to do a better job right here at home. Um, with, with dealing with this health crisis. And, and the, better, the better the job the U.S. does, the more confidence um, Canada will have. Um, but, and the know, Europeans, too. And yeah. the Europe, that's right. But, but, but you know, you see, you see venues um, that, that are doing things to, to assist with, um, 
with, with hygiene. And so, so, so if you, if you go to a store and you don't have a mask, uh, they'll give you a mask, uh, at the door. So they've got someone checking and they'll either turn you away or they'll give you a mask. And if you decline, uh, to wear it, then, then, then you get, you, you get sent away. You also see, you see places where, where the social distancing, um, uh, markings are on the ground. You've got uh, hand sanitizing stations all over the place. Um, you have contactless uh, interactions that you see. I think airports are going more and more, going more and more towards a contactless exper- experience. Um, I know they're piloting at the Vancouver airport, for example, just using um, just using your retina scan, like like some mm. technologies have. That that becomes your your identity check and your boarding pass and everything else. And if you can do that and and minimize uh, the interaction, so people are wearing masks. You've got you've got uh, sanitation, and you you decrease the amount of times you have to actually physically uh, touch something, whether it's a passport or a credit card or a boarding pass. Um, all of those are the kinds of things that are going to be very helpful uh, in in terms of p- people are just a, are going to have to adapt um, the the way they the way they exist in public. And so this is this is this is the new this is the new normal. Um, we can't just hope that it'll that it'll disappear overnight. We have to get um, cleaner and healthier and more accountable. Yeah. Jack, I, I wonder, um, do you see a time where it could be too late to reopen? Or the damage would be done by the time it has been reopened? No, not necessarily. And no. I, I've got to come back to Colin's point about the vaccine. I mean, even even if and when, well, when the vaccine uh, is uh, mm-hmm. is provided and distributed, that's going to be a process that will take time. It's after that that we'll need to do the pedagogy because the situation is extremely fragile right now. I'll give you a very uh, quick example. Uh, we've been in a deconfinement uh, phase, right? And mm-hmm. now we're seeing cases spike a bit. Uh, some people feel it's a lot, some a bit. Uh, you know, it only takes a few cases in one school to see the school shut down. And you take that on a sort of, again, that macro level, a national level. Uh, you know, if we did the pedagogy, did the contact tracing, did the things that, that, that Scotty's rightly suggesting we'll need to do, any small setback at this point in a situation as fragile as this, right, uh, would make those efforts move the op- in the opposite direction rather than the, rather than the good ones. So I think we're going to have to be sort of very good about the timing when we begin that pedagogy and probably will be a bit closer to uh, where we feel a vaccine is either pending or or we've got the vaccine. That's not my preference, obviously. Mm-hmm. I want to go to the States. I want to visit my friends in Washington. I have friends there. Hey, and I'd like to meet Scotty in person as opposed to doing, you know. <laughs> there you go. Online. But, you know, it, 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 that's probably the reality at this particular time. Yeah, I think it's going to be. You know, the thing, about, the thing I would just say about the vaccine is um, even when when you have it and and you know, God knows companies and scientists are working round the clock. They're sharing, they're sharing their libraries with each other, Pfizer and Johnson and Johnson, and all of these companies are, are really do, doing um, unprecedented levels of collaboration to try to get there. Once you get, and you're going to have to have several different kinds. And once you get through all of the trials and you ramp up production and you get it first to uh, healthcare workers and then to seniors and at-risk populations, it's going to be a while before it's available mm-hmm. to the general public. And even then, you know, there's something called vaccine hesitancy. 
You know, how many people are going to be willing? I mean, you have an anti-vaccination movement already mm -hmm. uh, in the United yes. States, which which personally to me, I think is troubling as as, as a mom with, with school age kids. Uh, I don't quite relate to the anti-vaxxer movement, if you will, although uh, there, there are people that are um, feel passionately about that. But there is a real there is a real concern when you see the president of the United States, you know, with some of his crazy ideas, like maybe you should inject yourself with bleach you know and then he's pushing that he's going to have a vaccine he thinks he's one he thinks he's one vaccine away from getting reelected so there's all of this rhetoric you can so it's being everybody knows it's being rushed it's being pushed you can understand in that scenario how people would say you know what i'll wait Mm -hmm. uh, to vaccinate my kids until I am sure that it's safe until I know that it's been tested till it's been around for a while. Cause I don't, I don't want, you know, some, some crazy startup version uh, of a vaccine, uh, doing potential harm to my family. So the vaccine vac and, and this is even more true in, um, in black and Brown communities in the United States, the vaccine hesitancy is a real mm -hmm. issue. Yeah. Um, and so, 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 so we can't just pin our hopes on a vaccine no. um, as the answer to reopening the border. It's going to have to be a whole series of um, of measures uh, that we've discussed on this call. No, I agree. But can I put a question to you and and Colin once I've uh, you know got the, the floor quickly here? Uh, would you think that uh, when the vaccine uh, is is generated, right? that when you cross the border, right? You know, you got those boards at the airports can say, have you visited a farm in the last 10 days? Have you been to China in the last two weeks? Have you taken the COVID-19 vaccine? Right? Do you think that that's something that governments will be doing at that particular point? So in other words, they're saying, if you say you haven't taken the COVID-19 vaccine, you're not crossing the border, right? It could be one of the conditions for doing so. Anti-vaccine movement aside, in other words, is the government going to step in at some point and try to compel people to take the vaccine. I think Canadian government would be likely to do so. Yes, Jack, I think that's that's quite uh, quite feasible. You know, it's remember, it's only been a couple of generations since we used to appear at a border with our vaccine certificates. And if you had the vaccine, you could get in. If you didn't, you couldn't. So I think that this global pandemic is going to reintroduce. And, it, and I would say to those who have vaccine hesitancy, that's fine, but it is not a right to cross a border. It's a privilege. So if you don't have mm -hmm. it, you're not going to be able to cross the border. And that will act as an incentive to those who have business and have to cross back and forth. Okay, as Scotty and I both know, it's like a nexus card. Some people don't want to give their information away to get it. For me, it was I did it as soon as it was available. Um, I would take the vaccine as soon as it was available for that very reason. But there will be some people who are not. And I think that there are going to be penalties now because of the public health risk of admitting someone who could be a spreader. Well, folks, I, I want to thank you for uh, for joining us. Our uh, time is up, and I want to thank our unpublished TV no panel. Way. Yes, How yes. Am I, like that? <laughs> I know. Colin Robertson is a former Canadian diplomat, vice president fellow at the Canadian Global Affairs Institute. Mary Scott Scotty Greenwood is the CEO of the Canadian American Business Council, and Jack Jedwabs, the president and CEO of the Association of Canadian Studies. And coming up on our next Unpublished TV next Monday, we'll take a look at the throne speech and whether it sends us to the ballot box. Thanks for watching Unpublished TV. Stay safe. I'm Ed Hand.